ACAC family, welcome. How are you? Welcome to all of you that are here tonight in person and for those that are online, welcome. Uh, it is such a privilege to be here and uh, to worship Christ tonight, isn't it? Um, years ago, years ago, a man by the name of Ed Whiteside got on a train and came to Pittsburgh with his wife. And he started working with a rescue mission. Years later, another man got on a train, came to Pittsburgh, A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance. He came and he met with Whiteside. And he said, Ed, would you lead the way in the expansion of the kingdom of God here in Pittsburgh with the Christian Missionary Alliance? And he said, yes. But in his humble spirit, he said, let me just follow the bidding of God himself. Let me just serve him. Whatever he does, let him get the glory. Under Whiteside's ministry for nearly 33 years, somewhere between 15 and 19 churches were started throughout the greater Pittsburgh area. Many of them continue to today. For the first 50 years, Whiteside had a gathering to lift up the cause of world missions. And they would rent the Carnegie Music Hall. They did it for 50 years. And they would hear reports and hear messages about the unfinished task of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, both in Pittsburgh and around the world. Do you know that first, that first missions conference, there was an offering that was taken and $200 were given. That was such a long time ago. But you were a part of that. You were a part of that. Today, last year, your church had the privilege to give more than $600,000 toward the sake of seeing the good news of Jesus Christ go through Pittsburgh, the greater metro area, and around the world. Praise God! It's exciting to be a part of something that has been going on for a long time. It was a real delight to try and find a way to get into the service tonight. I'll tell you that. Praise the Lord for the building that's going on. Praise the Lord for the inconvenience right now. Because God has good plans and he has his purposes for the people that are going to be touched. ACAC has been a part of countless numbers of people who found Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who heard the call of God on their life, and they said yes. Endless numbers of people that experienced divine healing because when the word was preached, they believed God could do anything. Praise the Lord for the heritage your church has. 
But more important than that, the word of God says, do you see it? I'm doing something new. And praise the Lord that in our day, that we are a part of not only something that happened historically, but we're a part of making history with God. And praise him for what he's doing. Of all those people that have been influenced by ACAC, can I add one more? That I have been influenced by ACAC. And let me tell you what it is. The leadership, my friends that are here um, ministering in this church have helped me fall in love with Pittsburgh. But more than a city, they've helped me fall in love with the people that make up the 133 municipalities throughout this great city. I want to say to you, that God is, he's pouring out a vision on us. And could we believe, can we believe, in the days of Whiteside to see how churches were started and gatherings of people who called Jesus Lord, would Jesus visit us again? And could we see points of light in each of our municipalities that make up Pittsburgh once again. And may his kingdom come all throughout this city for the renown of his name. That's the burden God's putting on my heart. And it comes in part because of the sweet influence of this church on me. And may God make it so even more than we can ask or imagine. Amen? There's an interesting tool that we use um, that helps our churches. It's a tool that, based on a number of databases, helps us to determine what communities are like in the area where we live. And as we do these different uh, research points, two particular statistics have impressed upon my heart. One is that despite the number of churches that we see as we drive through communities, not only in Pittsburgh, but throughout the Western Pennsylvania District, that the majority of our communities where we live, people are not engaged in a faith gathering. Nearly seven out of 10 in our communities are not part of a believing community. That's a staggering community. That's a staggering statistic, isn't it? But there's, when you drill down a little bit further, you wanna ask the question, well, why? Why are there so many people in our communities that are not a part of a faith gathering? Two reasons emerge. The first reason is, is that people say they don't go to a church out of concern for their children. 
How will their children be dealt with? May the Lord bless your focus on creating a safe place for people to have their children come and to know that their children are cared for, that they're loved, and that the programs that they're involved with are quality. And they're going to see Jesus in so many ways. You know, it's interesting that the greatest window for receptivity to the gospel is between the ages of 4 to 14. It's critical that we answer this concern of people. What about my children? But there's a second reason that emerges. And this is a hard one. The number one reason when asked, why don't you go? It's because I'm afraid I will be judged. I don't come because I feel I'm going to be condemned. Jesus said in his word, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Weary and burdened. Those words cover every aspect of the weight of sin and shame, don't they? Such a compelling invitation. How do we answer that question? How do we answer that question? Tonight we're going to look at one of the greatest stories recorded for us in the scriptures. If you brought your Bible tonight or if you have your device, I want to invite you to open up to Luke chapter 15. This is a very common story. As soon as you turn to it, you're going to see this is the story about the lost sheep, the lost coins, and then ultimately the story of the prodigal son. For many of you, all the words of this chapter needn't be read because you are familiar with it. But I just want to introduce you to a couple of issues as this text begins. We're going to get to verses 1 and 2 in a moment. But there are a group of accusers that are gathering around Jesus at this time. And they were the religious elite of his day. They were the Pharisees. They were the teachers of the law. A Pharisee, Scripture tells us, they actually go way back in time. And Ezra records for us that uh, in the book of Nehemiah, that there was this group of religious followers that said, we want to dedicate ourselves to the law. Good motives. But interestingly, over time, what happened to their hearts. By definition, Pharisee means to be separated from. 
And that was clearly what their practice was. A Pharisee stayed separated from foreigners, from unbelievers, from quote-unquote bad people. Pharisees strictly observed the Sabbath law. In other words, they would only walk so far on the Sabbath. They would only carry so much. They also strictly obeyed the temple laws on cleanliness. They would be very careful on the type of food they ate, animals, and the type of people that they would come in contact with. And then finally, tithing was so important to a Pharisee. Over time, the Pharisees developed a system of 113 laws, 365 negative commands and 248 positive commands. By the time of Christ, one historian writes, within the Pharisee there was a heartless, cold, an arrogant brand of righteousness. Scriptures give us some different pictures of these men. In Matthew 15, some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and they said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus said, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Another passage in Matthew. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, of your mint, of your dill, of your cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And Jesus said, if you had only known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not condemn the innocent. You can just feel the tension that's building as Luke then takes us to these first two verses of chapter 15. And here he records the accusation that's made by the accusers. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man, they're talking about Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. I don't know about you, but as we lived in uh, Southeast Asia for so many years, there was nothing more intimate than to be able to share a meal with somebody. I mean, it was always a special time. And one time, our family was renting a few rooms in the house of this family who didn't share our faith. And we were going to share a meal together. But that was the first time 
that I ever experienced people not being willing to eat with me because I was different. And there were those that were at that dinner that didn't even pick up a plate. And it was because who was at the party? When the Pharisees are making this accusation, it was incredible. They were murmuring. This is the same expression used when Moses is leading the people out of Egypt and they murmured and they grumbled against him and his leadership. The Pharisees said, this man, he welcomes sinners. You know, there's different ways that we meet people, isn't there? Sometimes if there's a knock at the door, we'll go to the front door, and everything is conducted right there. Nothing further happens. But boy, when we moved to Asia, I found out that when you knock on that door, the door is opened, and they bring you into this special room, which is a seating room, and almost every house has one. And you're invited to take a seat, and somebody will bring tea and a biscuit to you while you wait for whoever it is you came to meet. Such hospitality, such welcomingness into a home. When the Pharisees accused Jesus of welcoming sinners, he wasn't just, they were saying, look, you didn't just keep them at the front door where they belong, but you actually invited them in to deeper relationship. Thirdly, they said, he eats with them. To eat was just not an act of getting your fill. Eating together expressed welcome. It expressed acceptance. In fact, so important is this matter of eating together in Scripture that in Galatians chapter 2, Paul goes after Peter. If you remember that story, Peter is eating with the Gentiles. Peter is doing really well with his evangelism. Peter's doing really well with those that he is building relationship with. But then these that came from his Jewish background to visit him, those that were circumcised, those that came out of that Jewish faith, Peter would pull himself out of that crowd and quit eating with them. And Paul said, Peter, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call out your hypocrisy in front of everybody. Because that is not what the gospel is about. The charge, the accusation that the Pharisees were leveling toward Jesus was such a serious matter. And Jesus said, earlier in Luke, he said, is it not the healthy? It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. There was this physical division between being righteous in Jesus' day and being with those who were not like the righteous. Jesus is eating 
and welcoming tax collectors and sinners offended the religious leaders. Remember their, their emphasis on purity, their emphasis on what they ate, their emphasis on how they lived their lives. And Jesus was ignoring all of it. So there is this accusation. How is it that this man does what he does? Why does he sit with sinners? Why does he welcome them? And why does he eat with them? So Jesus goes on to tell a story. He answers the accusation with a story. And of course, there's three parts to the same story. But tonight, I just want to focus on one part. Jesus told about a shepherd who lost a sheep and he went after it. When he found it, the scriptures say there, were re there was rejoicing. He says there was a woman that lost a coin. When she found it, we were glad and we celebrated. But he says, you know what? Let's not talk about sheep. Let's not talk about money. Let's talk about what's really important. Let's talk about people. And so he tells the third part of his story. And he said there was a man who had two boys. And one of them, as we often come to know it, he was called the prodigal. And he said, Dad, I want what to do me. I'd like it now. Not when you die. I'd like it now. And so that father said, all right. And he gave to his son what he asked for. You can imagine what it would have been like to live in a small town. People would have heard. People would have said, this is not even, this is not even right that he would ask this. But nonetheless, the father gives it. So that young son takes off. The scripture tells us he went to a distant land. He lived lavishly. But he came to a point in his life when all that he had in his pockets was gone. And he ended up getting a job. And interestingly, Jesus in the story says that he had a job feeding pigs. There is nothing more offensive to a Pharisee than a pig. There's no happenstance in what Jesus brings into his story. He says that boy came to his senses and he said, I'm going to go home to my dad. I don't want to undermine what it took, but can you imagine what that son felt like? I don't know what kind of homes you grew up in, but boy, if you messed up as much as this kid did, you can believe he came home with a good bit of fear in his heart. Luke tells us in chapter 15, verse 20. Be careful here because we sometimes can think the story is about that boy. But Luke points us right here in verse 20. He says, so that boy got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. That father was looking for his son. That father every day was longing for the return of his son. And he was watching. 
and he was thinking about his son. And when that son appeared on that road as he came back, his father saw him. And the scriptures say he was filled with compassion for his boy. He ran to his son. I've lived in Asia almost 25 years. We, in Asia, they, we wear what's called a sarong. It's just a uh, type of material. You step into it. Men, women both wear them. And you pull it up to your waist and you roll it down. And uh, you put a shirt on. Very common. Everybody wears them. You cannot run in a sarong. This father would have been wearing a robe. And the only way you can run is you got to pull that sarong up. And you got to hold it with your hands. All of a sudden, you're showing your bare legs. I have never seen in 25 years an Asian do that. I've never seen it. That boy, when his father finally reaches him, Luke tells us is Jesus' words. He says that father kissed him. And he kissed him. And he kissed him. Maybe you as dads have had that time where you have taken one of your kids. Maybe they didn't make the best choices. But you wrapped your arms around them anyways. In the original language, it says that the father kissed him tenderly over and over again. That boy wanted to create a bit of an uh, apology and say, I'm sorry for all that I did. Luke tells us he didn't get very far. But the father said to his servants, quick, kill the animal, bring clothes for my son, put a ring on his finger, clean him up. Do you pick up the immediacy of the father? How quick he was to forgive the son. How quick he was. That young boy, though, he had a brother. It was an elder son. When that elder son came out of the fields, he heard this celebration going on. And he wouldn't come inside. His dad had to go out. See that kind of connection? His dad had to go out for the younger brother, but he, he had to also go out for the older. And he said, come on in, celebrate with us. And boy, that older brother was angry. He said, I don't want to. I've served you faithfully. Look how he's embarrassed you. The father said, your brother, my son, he was lost, now he's found. Just like the sheep just like the coin. We celebrate. We rejoice. Because what was lost is found. Why is Jesus telling 
these religious leaders the story. Because somewhere in their journey, in their commitment to God, it, their passion moved from love to trying to not break a rule. It moved from a passion for the Father to I've got to be perfect. I've got to be pure. And the only way they could define life was clean and dirty. And unfortunately, they saw too many people, unlike themselves, as dirty. Jesus had this very hard word for the Pharisees. He said, you are locking people out of the kingdom because of your spirit. ACAC, God has done so much in you through your family. But we don't want to keep people out of the kingdom, do we? And when people look at Christ followers, never let them think, I'm going to be judged. Because the scriptures tells us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before that boy even had a chance to get, I'm sorry, dad, out of his mouth, the father ran to him. That lavish love, the lavishness in the story goes to the father. The story is not about the prodigal. The story is not about the elder, but it's about the father. That's the kind of God we have. You may be here tonight and you may say, you know, I've been wrestling with that same question. I'm kind of living a hidden life because I don't want people to know what I'm really like. Because will I be accepted? Will I be loved? Jesus says you will. By his Holy Spirit, the body is enabled to do what Jesus does. When we think about when we think about loving people, when we think about loving the lost, just like that elder brother, pain, embarrassment, shame, something that may you have experienced, it can, it can, it can keep us from loving people, can't it? Jesus says, come. Whether you find yourself tonight as that younger person that says, I've tried to do it my own way. I have tried to look for unconditional love apart from the Father. Jesus says, come. Because I'm running after you. Just let me put my arms around you. If you find yourself tonight, though, that 
I'm the elder brother. Father, don't touch me. Don't kiss me. I'm mad at what he did, what they did. You know, Jesus, as he tells the story, he doesn't stop it. We don't know what that elder brother's decision was. But if that's you tonight, Jesus says, come. I can heal that pain. Those memories can be clean. Jesus is here tonight. Lord Jesus, we have been ushered into your presence by such wonderful worship tonight. And Lord, even before we opened the word, we we shouted out to you, I love you. Oh, how the father must have changed the mind of that young son. God, fall fresh upon us tonight. Let us see you in all of your glory. Let your love fall on us. Not as we think we should be, but as we are realizing that you love us. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.